This week on Log It, Angelo and Caleb discuss the 2008 film Speed Racer from the Wachowski siblings, starring Emil Hirsch, music by Michael Giacchino. Angelo, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Just surviving the heat down here in Los Angeles, California. Yeah, how's it? How, what's it? A heat wave, right? Basically, yeah, just like, a major heat wave. A couple of days ago, it was reaching 106, 107. I was like, literally, like, Eesh, I don't know how I'm, I'm alive right now. Yeah, I, I don't miss the LA summers at all. I, one thing I like <laughs> about being up north is the uh, colder temperatures in general <laughs> it's very nice so i prefer it big time oh, I so i feel that. i feel very bad for you man <laughs> no worries man no i envy the you're dealing with nice cool weather while i'm just here burning i don't like that scene from terminator <laughs> 2 with linda hamilton on the fence where she's burning yes to her that's, bones. How you feel. <laughs> that's, that's what it is right now man i step outside i'm dead <laughs> yeah that's that's so sad it just drains my whole energy sad. already just walking outside <laughs> So I have a question for you for the next segment. I uh, would have, you know, preferred to ask the whole group, but Ian and Andy, uh, obviously we're not able to make it this week. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you know, one or both will be back next week. But since it's just me and you, I wanted to ask you if you have ever, and if you have, what is the most recent movie you have walked out of in a theater and then <laughs> Why? I have not done that. Like I have never walked out. Well, Ever? Maybe. Uh, well, it wasn't because of not. I wanted to walk out. I was with a friend. This is like maybe a long time ago. Whenever the movie Bruno came out with Sasha Baron Cohen, I I was laughing because I, yeah. I got what this movie's doing because I I was a fan of the first Borat, but <laughs> the friend I was watching with was not comfortable watching this movie, and he asked me, <laughs> yeah. "Can we leave and go watch something else?" And I was like, oh, "Fine." <laughs> you're cool like sure let's... it's fair it's a weird it yeah. is a weird it movie. is weird it was weird but i, I was i was <laughs> laughing with the audience i was actually having a good yeah, time yeah. where he was just like no, it's pretty hilarious this is too much <laughs> it is pretty great um, i do like sasha baron Cohen. i kind of like i get it more now but yeah um, well that's a good one but um did you ever finish it uh eventually i think uh <laughs> when did i finish it i don't think i finished it in the theater i was a old bum yeah. i never want to go back to see it but but I ended up finishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah you did. Well, good, good. I'm glad you got closure on that. Yeah, but I don't know. I never actually walked out of a movie. I'm the guy that just rides it out, whether it's good or bad. I, I'm always just curious just to see where it goes. Because sometimes if it starts off bad, it might end up pretty interesting, at least. You know, it's true. You know how bad it is, and, and it's hard to to talk about a movie good or bad if you didn't finish it. Because, you know, some movies, the endings can pull a lot of weight for a, a slow first hour and 15. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you're like, yeah, that was, that was worth it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, mine, the last one was Ghostbusters 2016. Oh, I don't want to come off as like a internet, you know, crazy person who hated that movie. I did think it was terrible, to be honest. I did not walk out, though, out of like a protest or to make a point. Yeah. I just saw it during my lunch hour when I was, it was a slow day. So I took a long lunch and I was going to see a movie and I saw that and then it was so boring (laughs) and, and just so, and I was so stressed out about Mm. getting back to work and paranoid. I was going to miss something (laughs) that I walked out and I was like, I can't, it's not worth it, man. This isn't fun. This is just stressful. And like, there's this, it it is a, it is nothing to do with the casting or anything. It is just a terrible, like soulless. Yeah. Comedyless movie. 
Yeah, no, that, it is a really painful movie. It is a painful reboot because, like, I feel like the Ghostbusters franchise, I feel like it was just that first lightning in a bottle. It was just that one just fun comedy. It was, you know, it was not all about the tech. It wasn't just, it was just about these guys, you know, just trying to start a business and help, like, just fight ghosts. And it was just, it just worked because the guys were so funny and, and the story itself was just so like you know they were they were so sincere in making the story and taking things seriously even though it's goofy and fun but they they yeah. the characters take the situation seriously and it's and it's well constructed comedy where Paul Feig's Ghostbusters was all improv comedy and yeah. the point where I personally was just so tired of improv comedy and yeah. comedy cuz it just infected movies where every other scene was just like people like riffing and yeah. you could just feel when the movie stopped stopped being a movie and just turned into a little like like a little improv comedy sketch yeah. sketch that didn't add to the flow i feel like it became yeah. a real problem for a while and that like ghostbusters is like every scene yeah. is that but don't want to rail on that necessarily i have nothing against it at this point but it is yeah. the last movie i walked out of hey, and, uh, understandable <laughs> man it yeah. had potential to be interesting but just the yeah just the improv yeah. kills it it really is like i mean more. it was the team that made bridesmaids yeah <laughs> like you know what i mean there was real Kristen wig and paul feig they made yeah. bridesmaids yeah. was a hit, bridesmaids a hit and, yeah. and like critically loved and i loved it yeah and, and it's just crazy just how much of a miss Ghostbusters ended up being. Yeah. But thank you for uh, answering my question and, uh, you know, filling us in on that little bit of movie history of yours. We will go on to last four. Do you want to do your last four first? Sure. Let me look right now. Yeah, take your time. All right. So the last four. So... All right, the first one I have watched was uh, 1995's Clueless with Alicia Silverstone and Paul Rudd. Oh, yeah. Nice. And then after that, I watched uh, 2017's The Disaster Artist based off the uh, the biopic on The Room starring James Franco. Totally. And then yesterday, went to the movies. I had another just, you know, afternoon to myself. And I'm like, you know, I got to watch something that just excites me. So I... Didn't know that they were doing a re-release in 3D of the original Jurassic Park. And I it was just like, you know, it's a good excuse to just watch it on a big screen. And I haven't watched it. Yeah. And like I I watch this movie like every year, but this year I haven't watched it. So I was like, you know, so this is my time. And it was perfect. It was the 30th anniversary for the movie too, which I did not know. It was this year. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. That's wild. <laughs> it was really great, man. It was great revisiting it. Especially seeing on a big screen, there's something that I never noticed watching at home. Yeah, and I've maybe because this just came out, but um, uh, Wayne Knight's character Dennis, who's the one stealing all the embryos in the film, on his uh, computer, I just noticed it this time. But there's a picture of uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer on his picture, and then there's a there's a sticky note saying "boom, boom, boom," and I realize, oh, is this a kind of a metaphor that he starts a chain reaction of like unleashing these dinosaurs to the world the way Oppenheimer like built the atomic bomb and sort of the nuclear, you know, uh, chain of events. <laughs> a metaphoric, a metaphorical nuke on the earth. Yeah. And I've ne- maybe I've, I've seen that picture like in the film, but I never really picked who it was, but not until because Oppenheimer just came out this year. I was so. going to say makes sense with all the, yeah, very relevant. So it's fresh in your brain. <laughs> yeah. It's just really interesting. I know we're talking about synchronicity and things, yeah. you know? Yeah, dude. I was going to say, I just love movies. There's all like Jurassic Park is, is gotta be a movie. You kind of think, you'd know, 
you know, up and down. Yeah. There's just always little fun details that, that you find no matter what movie it is. I feel like there's always something where you're like, oh, that's kind of a cool detail. I never noticed that. Yeah. And it's, and yeah, because he is the guy who's responsible for all this, all the problems in that movie. So shit. Like, yeah, he, he started the chain reactions of all the disasters. Um, and I, I got to also shout out to the, not just because the, I mean, yeah, there was moments that were 3D. Like, not everything was, like, popping out, but there was a few good stuff, like the helicopter, the T-Rex mouth, and raptors kind of come. Oh, and the shot where he tries to scare the kids by electrifying himself on the uh, the fence. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The part where he's walking up, his hands were coming out of the screen, actually. I was like, whoa, that is pretty cool. Nice. But I would have to say the, the biggest standout in this remaster was just the way it looked. It looked like this looks too modern. Like, it looks really good. This restoration looks so clear. Like, I felt like it kind of like, I don't know, they did something. Something about it looks like this is like the best it could ever look. I don't know well, how much better can you restore this movie. Is it going to be released, this version, as a just like a watch at home? I wonder if yeah, there's like a 4K, a new 4K release. It probably would be this latest one. Interesting. Yeah, that's fun, man. I was going to ask about the 3D because I was curious. Um, yeah. Did how was like the um with the 3d how was like the scenery kind of stuff like when they just showed wide shots was that pretty neat or was it kind of you didn't even notice it some are neat there are some that you could really see like yeah the ones that stick out like when the helicopter's flying to the island the wide shot the helicopter's sticking out like even at the end of the movie too the helicopter's like sticking out of the screen well that's see cool this. so i give credit there was there was some effort to the the 3d restoration but it was just yeah. also like 3D or not. It was just my excuse to see it on the biggest screen possible. Yeah, that's the important part. Yeah. And I'm and also it's gonna bring up because like this movie is so timeless and modern. I know everyone's already said so much great things about this movie, but it's just nice that like it just makes me mad that I we don't get those whimsical like music anyway. I feel like the music of, of John Williams is just so powerful in that movie. Yeah. It makes because with bad music, I feel like some scenes are like, I don't know if that would be good if it wasn't for some of the score, you know. But I feel like movies now they're they're missing that whimsical music. I, I'm I'm I love the Guardians movies, but I hate that now everyone's trying to do the classic rock songs right. and everything. Right, <laughs> I'm sick of it's, it, honestly. It's... No, I agree, man. So the last one of my last four was the movie we're going to talk about today, uh, the 2008's Wachowski Speed Racer, starring Emil Hirsch. Yes. John Goodman, Christina Ritchie, a whole bunch of people. Beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing. Those were uh, that was a good one. What was your first one? It was a uh, Clueless. Clueless. With, uh, That's a really fun movie. That's a really great Paul Rudd movie. Yeah. Even it's early, obviously, but Very he's also early. you see immediate like star star power. He's one of those guys where you're like, oh yeah, you could just see he's like stealing scenes and like so great yeah no i want to say this is the time when the same year he did that halloween movie halloween six the curse of michael myers because yeah weird movie because that was this uh that movie when i first saw it it said introducing paul rudd and i wonder if that was it was the same year 1995 holy shit so it must have just barely beat clueless wow what a good year for paul rudd Uh, well, yeah, what a launch, man. Well, yeah, it's, it's crazy. But obviously, Clueless was more of the standout for him. That kind of shows like the Paul Rudd we kind of know now. It's like the kid version of what we see. And, yeah. You know, a much better representation of the how to a better selling point of his strong points. Yeah. 
it was fun revisiting that. I haven't seen it in years. I just felt like, you know, what's what's just something like I could just put on right now and just like lay back. Yeah. Not, not to think too much. And I don't know why that was calling to me. Maybe it was because I rewatched Wet Hot American Summer. So I guess I was just trying to find like more old, older Paul <laughs> Rudd roles. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Which so to me, I think that's my favorite Paul Rudd role, yeah. which we'll hopefully we could do an episode on. I would love to talk more about that that film. Oh, yeah. One day. Oh, yeah. We should. Yeah. That'd be a fun one to do. Yeah, maybe some about the show as well. Yeah. Um, but cool. All right, I will jump into mine then. So I didn't do this on purpose, but it works out nicely. My fourth one was Friday the 13th from 1980. After oh, that, I nice. watched Friday the 13th Part 2 from 1981. Nice. After that, I watched Friday the 13th Part 3 from 1982. After that, I watched Speed Racer. So clearly I had a theme here. Um, I didn't intend to do this Friday the 13th for the show like this it just worked out that way but i'm excited to talk about that yeah this technically isn't last four but for context i watched cabin in the woods right before i started the friday the 13th movies as well oh nice. the day before so it was actually a really great precursor and i feel like cabin in the woods borrows i think one of the main inspirations from what i could tell was friday the 13th mm-hmm. like the the base concept obviously expands way beyond that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it does Friday the 13th dirty. So we kind of talked about this, but going from the first movie to the second movie, and and I should say going into this, I had no impression of these movies at all somehow. Mm-hmm. Like I thought I kind of knew what Friday the 13th was because it's so present in pop culture yeah. you know it's referenced so much and you see so many visuals from it mm-hmm. so it was really fun watching the first one waiting for jason with a mask to come out <laughs> and he never does and you're like oh that's awesome and then the reveal at the end where jason is still in the lake and he pops out and scares the girl yeah. and the very last lines of the movie are jason he's or he's still in the lake he's still in the lake <laughs> and to me it felt like a movie made as a social commentary on the treatment of people with physical and or mental disabilities in that time, the eighties going into the eighties. So it must've been about the seventies. Right. Mm-hmm. And it felt, I I don't know anything about the making of, I know there's a documentary I want to watch, but there's, mm-hmm. I want to finish all of them first, Yeah, but it felt very like personal and it felt like it was very much about very much not supposed to be about Jason being a monster and much more supposed to be about, you know, like I said, the treatment of those pe- of people with physical, mental dis- uh, disabilities mm-hmm. or differences back then. The second one feels like a remake of the first one with a new director. Mm-hmm. Where they make Jason the bad guy instead of the mom. It's like yeah. almost essentially the same movie, right? And then the third one is like a sequel to the second one that's still like basically a remake, but now they've upgraded Jason to like full superhero villain bad guy and this is the first time the third one is the first time you see him with the mask which is crazy because the most iconic visual is him with the mask but the original like i feel like that's not even close to what the original is even about (laughs) so it's really interesting that the the franchise got it feels like it got like almost hijacked to me yeah and and again i know there's probably a story everybody i could know about this i just wanted to wait till i finished all of them yeah before i i learned about the making of and stuff but it was really interesting it felt really strong to me just in watching those back to back in the same night how how stark the difference was in tone towards jason specifically that's awesome 
yeah, it definitely felt like the first movie is extremely sympathetic towards Jason and and what mm-hmm. he like represents. Yeah, uh, as like a, a commentary, and and we know most good horror is like layered with social commentary. Usually, like that's a very common yeah theme for horror movies to oh, be absolutely. very much about some problem or some kind of social issue that somebody's trying to uh, create a convincing yeah. argument about. You know, a persuasive essay, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm happy you watched these for the first time for watching. So the first, second, and third. So that's amazing. That's like, especially you're not realizing that oh, like he's not in this first movie the whole time. That must have been a mind blowing thing because I, I I felt the same way when I first saw it year, many years ago. Uh, when I yeah. when I did my first marathon, I was like, whoa, this is not what I expected either. And it was a nice twist because no one told me the twist of the original film as well. And I don't know if you already mentioned the twist. I don't want to spoil it if, if people are listening and have not watched. We can get into spoilers. Spoiler, spoiler alert. But just the fact that like the, there was a lot of just POV shots making you believe there was a real yeah. killer. But then it turns out, oh, it's it's the mom. It's like the reverse the psycho, mom. you know, instead yeah, of having yeah. the son be the... The mom. The mom is avenging the son for these camp counselors that killed their kid. That was the other crazy thing. This kind of gets, again, in that pop culture representation, Friday the 13th gets representative as a very campy, kind of like cheap horror franchise in pop culture, you know, just like a a classic slash, you know. And again, watching Cabin in the Woods, the way they talk about, they're not talking directly about, friday the 13th but indirectly knowing that's an inspiration for what the the joke they're doing you know or the satire it's clear it's like direct with a lot of commentary about that movie and those type of movies yeah the first one is not a slasher movie at all it it's it's very much like it's almost like a ripoff of psycho like it's it's like Mm -hmm. heavily inspired like there's a shot of the mom when she's revealed as the killer that's like Mm -hmm. it it feels almost black and white how they lit it and how they shot it and it's very much like a hitchcocky shot just reversing the mom and son now and that's the only difference yeah yeah same and same mislead where you assume it's a guy because of the heavy breathing and and another big inspiration this reminded me of and if you follow me on letterboxd you would have seen me post about this Black Christmas. It, this felt yes. very much like Black Christmas mixed with the original Black Christmas yes. mixed with Psycho, where you had this like because Black Christmas in my film experience is the oldest movie I can think of that has like POV bad guy just kind of wandering through spaces and a really impactful part of that movie, kind of annoying but effective is the heavy breathing mm-hmm. when you're in the POV of the killer. So scary. And he's just always really heavy breathing. And then in Friday the 13th, you also have heavy breathing, what I interpreted as heavy breathing, in, that gets mixed into the soundtrack. And I always thought that was supposed to be Michael's breathing because, again, that's part that was part of the mislead to me with not suspecting anything to do with the mom or a mom. Like I just, again, assumed it was Michael, the monster, you know, which I say with pain. Cause I don't, I think that would, I really feel like the original director would probably be bummed to hear that to know they like, now that he's the monster. Yeah. And I agree. I feel like Friday the 13th was its own like contained movie. I haven't watched, I didn't fully watch that documentary. I, I know you're talking about camp crystal Lake memories is what you're bringing up been wanting to yeah, see. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, no, it's I feel like it just seems it just by watching it I have to agree it seems like a contained movie, kind of like Black Christmas. You think it's just like this one-off, this one little movie that's just 
and then they, they just find a way to cash in and just like hey yeah, make money a in the studios like too. let's make more what about yeah. that weird kid at the end which is like no 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 that's not the point of the kid at the end he's not <laughs> you know that's i was tricking you you're supposed to feel bad you thought it was him it's just so fun that like this franchise like they, they do have fun even when it gets ridiculous i, I got to shout out to like four and six and and after that it's just yeah. it's just fun it's just like you know if you just want to watch horrible characters die it is the franchise you just want to see these yeah. terrible people just eat it and just watch jason massacre people it's a blast and i i can't wait to keep going and for the record i did enjoy the second and third one i just did think it was surprising how strong of a, a social theme there was in right. the first one and how it was interesting how tonally it shifted so quick to Jason being like an actual monster. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is very fun still. And I can't wait. You mentioned to me that the fourth through six or I can't wait. Cause that's where I'm at. I'm on the, 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 the fake final chapter, yeah. <laughs> which you'll see some, a uh, couple back to the future cameos. I want to say there's, there's some actors oh, in there. You'll, okay, you'll, cool. know, you'll recognize it. It's interesting. Oh, that's really fun. And another right, cool. I can't wait. Iconic actor in there too. It's okay. Fun. I won't, sit, won't cool. spoil. Um, well, awesome, man. I hope you have a blast, and, and hopefully it gets you to play the, the video game as well if you haven't played it yet. Um, oh, PS4, I've heard it's awesome. PS4, oh, yeah. and last thing before we move on from these, the soundtrack, Henry Manfredini, I think his name is, amazing. The first one, and I think the theme overall, seems to be inspired by Psycho to me directly a lot. Like, it's very Psycho-y, especially the first movie. Yeah. But overall, I love them. I love the direction it went. I love how the 3D one, he redid the theme to be, like, techno, kind of, like, electronic feeling. The the twist, I did not know the third one was 3D. The twist yeah. of that 3D reveal was hilarious <laughs> and so much fun. <laughs> me and my wife were watching, like, oh, 3D, no way. <laughs> Like, no idea so that was great also i don't understand how i've avoided this <laughs> any spoilers yeah like it was no i figured i kind of knew things and yeah. again i had like no idea none of the characters i recognized like i didn't know the mom was coming it was really fun like i just somehow i've dodged this i don't understand how Good it job. happened i feel like i should have been exposed maybe i just didn't ever get an imprint but it was really it was really a blast because i think pop culture has more focused on like oh he's just jason this killer so you really just associate friday 13 with just him massacring people and and it's, it's a shame because like if you've never seen psycho it sucks if you've been to like universal studios and you go to if you ride the studio tour and you see the basement hill you see the guy coming out of the 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 um, totally motel and oh, it spoils it yeah it really does it's like i mean I'm, <laughs> yeah totally i don't man. want to spoil it if no one's ever been to universal or never seen psycho who's listening <laughs> to this but it's just a shame that like um you guys are really spoiling your one of your iconic movies here it's cool if you've seen the movie it's like that's nice but there's some people like oh when they watch psycho they're they're gonna know the twist from the beginning already so they're not so into it yeah that is kind of funny because it is it is fun watching an old movie where you don't know what's going to happen yeah and manage to avoid like imagine if you could watch the sixth sense without knowing what's going to happen like you somebody yeah, that'd be pretty great right how fun would that be <laughs> now it's just a pop culture thing too because even like 50 first dates like it even makes that a scene where oh like she, like she's watching sixth sense for the first time but it's like her fifth or 50th time <laughs> watching this and the and the dad and the oh, brother is like oh my gosh like it's like yeah that's we my, don't know we didn't job. know he was dead <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I agree, man. A good job for you dodged all the spoilers. It's very hard to do these days. Yeah. 
So that was great. And I look forward to watching more of them and talking to you more. I was going to also give a shout out to black Christmas. Like that's one of my favorite like horror movies now of all time. And it's crazy. That came out before Halloween, uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. And there's a lot of similarities in Halloween and black Christmas. And, totally. And it's like, how come no one's ever made this correlation and talked about that before? So, Yeah. Well, again, yeah, man, and I, it'd be fun to watch it again in context or watch Halloween again in that context, but it was very strong to me in Friday the 13th, Psycho and like yeah, I'm happy Black you brought Christmas, that up. I kept going back to. So I feel like Black Christmas, and they've remade it, but I do feel like it's kind of like an underrated in how influential it is to horror. Like yeah. even the POV shots, like feel like predecessors to evil dead, yes. like tracking ghost shots that I love so much. Mm. Like it feels like the same kind of energy of like showing from the perspective of the monster. And that became such a great tool. Yeah. And I, if anybody listening to this knows a movie that did it before, black christmas please say it in the comments because i'd love to know it's again just from my experience it's like it was one where I'm like wow this is so early i thought this kind of like pov thing was newer yeah it was used in the 90s a lot in television yeah like that was a very common trick in like kid shows that were creepy and low budget was they would show the perspective of like a werewolf and it, the screen would go red and they'd yeah. do you know you know and to, to it's this feels very early on in in that kind of um technique yeah it's just fun it's really cool. It's really crazy, man. It's really crazy how like how much it's influenced. And I mean, now you, oh, I can't watch Halloween the same. I see, oh man, you guys got inspired by Black Christmas. There's a lot of these POV shows. Oh, that's awesome, dude. But I do love Halloween's also, so it's also another fun. There's one. nothing wrong with you. I mean, that's like you know, to, you know, it's um, it's all, it's all, it's how you use it, right? Yeah. And like Halloween obviously made some so like you know yeah. effective, just good use of a tool. Yeah cool all right well we will take a quick break i'm gonna grab a fresh soda and we will come back and jump into speed racer we have always thought that it's interesting that no one has really done much with uh the, the cinematic language of editing editing is this very straightforward grammar it's like a sentence it begins with a um, you know a capital letter ends with a period every cut is a period and we thought, well, because of computers, we actually have the ability to transcend this older language and try something more postmodern, the way that Joyce and, and either other postmodern writers like Rick Moody have tried to extend the grammar of, of literature to reflect more the way that we experience the world. That led into a whole discussion of, well, because we make things in computers, we don't need all of these like um, sort of um, um, primitive aesthetics that are slaved to cameras because we don't we don't rely on cameras anymore to make the image. So we can we can do whatever we want in terms of focal planes or in terms of what is even in the grain of the out of focusness or what is in the lens flare lens flare all of these things can be redesigned to to an aesthetic choice instead of connected to just what the technology can produce we knew that adults cannot accept challenges to their conventional aesthetic the, the aesthetic that they're bonded to adults if you if you sort of assault that 
aesthetic, they will rage in this really primitive way. And so we uh, we we um we thought, well, maybe we can make it for kids because kids are much more open aesthetically than adults are. Welcome back from the break. We're going to jump into Speed Racer. This is directed by the Wachowski siblings. This was the first movie they directed after the Matrix trilogy. They did write the screenplay for V for Vendetta, mm-hmm. which is kind of they were produced too, interesting. Yeah. And then so this followed. It was a, a three years after V for Vendetta. In researching this, I actually found a lot of videos of people who talk about this as like their favorite movie and defend it. But in general, it seems like it's kind of either forgotten or maligned. Yeah. But I do think there's a lot of really worthwhile stuff in this movie. And frankly, I really like the story. And I think the effects are done effectively. And I think it gets better with time, surprisingly, which a lot of CGI heavy movies from this era don't. But I would love to hear more about what you thought. I know we kind of introed this at the beginning, but yeah. what what initial thoughts or what you know big thing you want to dive in on? Where is it? Yeah, no, this is an interesting one. This is a movie that yeah, I remember at the time it just felt like no one really like got a lot of crap and it, it bombed at the box office. Yeah. Like, I think it got shadowed by other stuff because I want to say this looking up earlier that this came out the weekend after Iron Man. Yes, it did. And finished behind it. Yeah. It was second to Iron, or not second, it was behind Iron Man. It also was competing with Leaving Las Vegas (laughs) with Ashton Kutcher. Never seen it. And it it finished behind that in the box office. Oh, man. And they both opened that weekend, I believe. Oh, man. That's that's crazy. I don't even remember Leaving Las Vegas. Or Leaving Las Vegas with Nicolas Cage, right? Oh, shit. Something. I know you're talking about. There was a rom com at the time. Crap. Uh, I have it written down. Let me That's double sad. check. So that. we got be uh, Iron Man was one, and it didn't even make number two. It's opening weekend. Didn't even so oh, it finished behind. That's so horrible. That's sad. what happens in Vegas. Thank you very much, Google. Appreciate that. What happens in Vegas? It finished behind. What happens in Vegas? And I will leave that in to some degree, just to show you how crazy it is that that movie beat this movie and you know it's just uh it's gone that's sad everybody's memories and and this has been like in the works for such a long time because i used to be one of those geeks that buys those movie magazines and you would see like upcoming like this is before the internet before i had access to the internet they would always have like what's in the works right now and there'd always be images of the anime speed racer like live action by the matrix director that i got excited like whoa there's gonna be a live action version of that cartoon that's gonna be so cool and previous to the wachowskis being attached it was um the project was attached to jj abrams as well which obviously never came to fruition and alfonso cuaron at one point had been in discussion (laughs) to do it that's wild which is interesting and so that was like i think they got the rights the company that got the rights got them in like 2002 or 92 even i can't remember exactly but they had him for a few years and just couldn't i think it must have been 92 wow uh get it get it going and it is one of those movies that couldn't have been made the way it was pre-cgi yeah so it was like a good time to make it and i also feel it would be a great sequel movie i would love to see this world done in a much better cgi quality and with like modern technology that you know is yeah. um, so much you know this this style of filmmaking has become 
so common using a green screen and just creating a full digital world. Yeah. Obviously now they use that giant screen dome circle and, but the concept is the same It's a CGI generated world with actors layered on top of it. It's just a different technique to accomplish it. But other movies I could think about that early on had like CGI built worlds were Guy Captain in the World of Tomorrow, which yeah, is a awful right. movie and is so boring. <laughs> but that was 2004. So a few years before this, or 2005 maybe. You also got 300, right? 2007. Oh, uh, prequels. I feel like oh, this prequel. is kind of, sh- should be viewed as like a c- comparable to the prequels because the prequels also took a leap mm-hmm. in doing heavy digital. Yeah. They also switched to digital filmmaking, which, uh, this was the first film the Wachowskis did that wasn't shot on film, mm-hmm. and they really utilized the digital medium to yeah. create really cool effects. I want to get into how they designed the world. Yeah. But just like a really, I just, I really wanted to talk about it. It also, I want to connect it back to our past movies. So it's got a little bit of Nightcrawler with a guy in a red car and underdog oh. versus, you know, the big, you know, established groups and just kind of his own little private group. Again, a less evil version of that yeah it also reminded me of top gun maverick in a mm. lot of ways yeah there's like yes. parts of this movie where people whisper trust yourself yeah. and don't think in things and i was like yeah maverick yeah and just like maverick that's awesome and it was also awesome in this movie yeah and there was one other one scott pilgrim versus the world because i feel like oh, this has yeah. a similar place and they're both really unique and uh innovative comic book adaptations Mm -hmm. and the way that scott pilgrim versus the the world flows and its editing and some of its transitions and the way they layer images i thought would either directly or indirectly inspired by speed racer because there's a lot of similar transitions and how yeah. they move from different locations and things and the the swipe specifically yep so um and then there's a, that little kid yeah. does those like kung fu moves and it does that like yeah yeah made it like Wah! it goes full like anime <laughs> effect which anime i guess was a big inspiration for this specifically directly but you know i know the matrix as well there's a lot of anime inspirations not directly but i've i've seen other people reference them and in general, they've talked about anime being a ins- big inspiration for their their film yeah. style. Well, especially this is based off an actual anime from the 60s. Um, right. Which right. I have a kind of sm- not too much of a history. It's one of those I never fully watched because I'd always catch whatever it was on. I think it was Cartoon Network or Toonami or... Uh, Remember that or Boomerang? Do you remember those channels? Probably on both at places. I always, I always yeah, just oh, totally, catch bits yeah, man, of totally. it. I always catch. I caught the intro once or twice in my life. I'm like, oh, this is a cool show. And I never, I don't know why. I just remember fragments of it. But then I remember a friend of mine yeah. back then got me a DVD of the first season, and I watched it one time, and I was like, oh, this is cool. But I kind of forgot about it, and then I watched the movie, and I was like, oh shoot, this is like, I could see what they're trying to do because there really are like trying to replicate those characters and keep that spirit of the animation like with live action which they are in this movie feels like they are like blending in okay here's live action and filming but here's like animation like filmmaking too like a lot of the transitions as you were saying and just like the vibe and just sometimes the way the characters talk too feels like you're you're trying to make an anime it's i I appreciate it like that's really cool yeah i agree and I tried to learn about the making of the film and their kind of approach to it and some innovative, really cool things they did 
to make it feel more like an anime and also like utilizing the digital medium in innovative ways and kind of like, so I'll explain first, but they, if you, you probably noticed, but the movie feels very flat Mm -hmm. and basically the whole movie was shot in 60 days on a green screen. And so the way they build all those shots, which is probably obvious, but the thought process behind it is what's interesting is they shoot all of those elements, those visual elements separately. And then in post, they layer them on top of each other by removing the green screen element, you know, and then putting the person on the house and then the house on the grass and then the the sky behind it. So each element is separate and that allows them to keep everything in focus. So depth of field in this movie which is basically what makes the background blurry if you're not familiar depth of field in this movie is only used artistically there's never depth of field by like necessity the fact that everything in this in frame can be in focus was a technical thing they could do because of digital filmmaking being uh, taking over but also allowed them to make it look more like an anime because in an anime, everything's in focus because it's all hand drawn and they don't blur things. And so they felt like it would actually make everything look more like a live action anime. And another cool thing they did is in animes, the background is like this long and loops, you know, it's like it's on a track going in circles. So they have the same background just looping Mm -hmm. while he's driving to make it cheaper. So you only have to draw one stretch of sky that can just, you can rotate right while he drives. They do the same effect with the sky in this, where you'll see the same clouds keep coming back like it is an animated film with limited Mm -hmm. sky. And so they, they did use it to try really hard to make it feel like a like an anime specifically and in general like a cartoon yeah. live action which again i bring up scott pilgrim because i feel like they also did a lot of really innovative things that were fun yeah. obviously scott pilgrim got a lot of praise this didn't and yeah. you know, maybe for good reason to some degree yeah i'll agree it's really f- fun trying to watch it as like an attempt at doing something different which yeah. i always try to appreciate same i, I do appreciate so, and admire their artistic vision like those directors no matter what they do good or bad there is just still something of a vision that they have you know I, I i admire about their works i agree um and it's just like yeah sometimes it's like the, the animation stuff is cool but there are times i'm like oh i don't know it, 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 sometimes it borderlines those robert rodriguez animated like kids or those not animated but those kids movies he does like shark boy and lava spy Girl, kids spy i got kids. tons of spy kids lots vibes. of spy kids man <laughs> totally agree. Yeah, I was going to actually I forgot to bring that up when I was talking about other movies that use like heavy CGI world building. Yeah. Spy Kids definitely is kind of in that league of early adaptation of the CGI sets. Yeah. You know? They both have the same wackiness. I know it's a kids movie so they're keeping that kind of spirit. It's like their first kids only kids movie that they've done. Like and it's yeah. and partially sometimes it's not even a kids movie. I feel like there were some like violent moments and they put a guy's hand in like that piranha tank or his finger. It's like, whoa, yeah, it's almost it's not a PG movie. <laughs> oh yes. yeah, I think, yeah, I think I have to plug it up. a bit of it, right? That's why he was like, Oh, he's bleeding and I appreciate their yeah, their artistic vision behind it, whether it's it works for me or if it doesn't, but 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 the thing that keeps the movie really good is really the the emotion of its story and the characters. Speed and his yeah. family is great. They're all they're all great. Not to segue yeah. away from this aspect into those. No, actually, no, I, let me segue real quick too. So to give a quick recap of the film, 
before we get too deep into it. It's pretty straightforward. Obviously, Speed Racer is a racer. He races cars. He has a family that is also his racing team. Their names are literally Pops Racer, Mom Racer, Speed Racer, and Spritesy Racer. (laughs) Their last name is literally Racer. Racer is trying to make a career. He has a brother who died racing, and so there's a chip on his shoulder, but he's incredibly talented. Along with his brother's death he's dealing with, there's also an evil megacorp, a bunch of them in the racing community who are trying to control the outcomes of games to make or races to make money. And they want to buy Speed Racer and basically make him a pawn. And this movie is kind of all about him choosing his family over the corporation and figuring out how to win as a underdog. Yeah. And it's a, like I said, a pretty straightforward underdog story. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he gets sabotaged, you know, all these things happen and he has to find a way to overcome. Yeah. And so just to give that general context, as we talk about it, evil corporations trying to sabotage him, dead brother, or is he? Mm-hmm. You've seen the comic or the cartoon, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and you know speed racer and he's in love with trixie is trixie, that her name? yeah trixie yep it's a really cool movie this is a major stretch i only say this in set design but it reminds me set design wise of clockwork orange just like the colors they use and the feel of the world like it's like this like futuristic but like kind of retro mix of feel where it's like 60s but at the same time there's like cars with jet engines in them that can like fly and flip you know that put that uh retro future is probably the right word yeah no there's some really cool lighting and really cool color palette choices uh and it's cool that even some of the race sequences have different like coloring to them like there's it feels like they're always at new locations it's never like the same yeah race over and again yeah, no, it, definitely. I love the production design of the movie for sure. And you're 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 right because I don't know if this is like a future, but it's like retro. But is it you know it, it could be timeless. So you don't know where this takes place. You know? It almost yeah it feels like its own little world that's not connected to ours at all. Speaking of all the logos, lots of logos on the cars in this movie. Yeah, they designed about four hundred fake logos of fake companies. Oh, really? For the movie, so there are no real logos. So in a sense, you could say it is an alternate like world and not connected to ours. They also designed a hundred cars for the movie, a wow. hundred individual cars for five from and six? concept. Just in general, oh, just in so you general. know how there's like oh, okay. huge races. Each car was individually designed as it, if it was like a concept car. So they started with like the original concept and then, you know, and they did have physical models of the Mach 5 and the Mach 6 or yeah. 4. The Mach 6. Yeah. And actually, like, I remember when I first saw the preview, I was disappointed. Oh, I wanted to see that car, like, real. But watching the actual movie, there were shots where the car is just parked and it's real. And it made me, like, giddy. Yeah. Like, because I always loved the car of Speed Racer. And to see it in live action, it was always been a curiosity of how they would pull it off. But the Mach 6, to me, was so cool. And it looked really good to, to me. I guess the original in the cartoon is red. Is that right? It's the it's same color. It's exactly the same. It's white. Yeah. Maybe, but I love the white car. I love the design of them. Yeah. Another thing I think really works about this movie in retrospect, a big reason it was maligned was the CGI. It is bad CGI. There's no yeah. way around it. It does it's dated, look no. sometimes, yeah. yeah, like a Nickelodeon like animated film from like the early two thousands <laughs> or show yeah. where they, it was like dig, early digital cheap CGI shows. You know, yeah, it kind of has that feel to me. Yeah. 
the one thing that I think really helps it is that they're not trying to sell realism. Yeah. Like the movie is always stylized yes. and always building a stylized world. So it'll, for me, it allows me to suspend disbelief and accept that this world is just a weird cartoony world mm-hmm. that this, this is the way this world does exist and appear in reality. Yeah. Like if you were to step into the speed racer live action world, it would look like that cheap, bad CGI. Yeah, no, I I agree, and and again, it's trying to be like it's not it's not our world. It really is as like fantasy, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely like yeah. I do I do do agree with that. This is a common reference point on this show, but to compare it to Ant Man, Quantum Mania, which is a big budget CGI world movie, this has so much more like soul it feels like the worst possible outcome of like what speed racer was trying to like move to because ant-man feels like they've used the convenience of cgi to get lazy and and that's a common complaint about modern cgi use but i feel like especially now it's like there's no thought in the story Mm -hmm. there's not it's just all kind of average but they're like but it'll be crazy cool how cool our quantum verse is or whatever it's called Mm -hmm. Versus this movie that was trying to use it to like innovate and trying to do something new and was trying to like infuse a flavor and like use the CGI's negatives in to their advantage with having it be like a cartoon world and and Ant-Man just trying to be like, how can we do this the easiest is how it feels they're using it. It's kind of sad just to see how it has been corrupted by the studio system, frankly, or, you know, and, and ironic and in kind of a prophetic way, their movies are all about systems of power that are oppressive and rebelling against them. And like matrix four, there was a lot of direct references to studio executives and just how little they thought of their input on their movies. (laughs) So I need to watch it safe to say, because I've heard people talk about that. I've analyzed matrix four to be this kind of meta, like against like studio Hollywood and it's crazy. And like their career after the matrix kind of is how I interpreted it. Just how right after the matrix basically it was like, how do we do that again? And they're like, well, we don't really want to. And like, yeah, but the money is so good. But it's crazy how like not to delve too much into matrix four, but it's crazy that like, like, you know, Hollywood itself now is becoming going into the matrix doing computer AI stuff now. So it is kind of, fascinating that how relevant they called it you know they kind of fit if i had to categorize them they'd be kind of in a box with m night Shyamalan of just like what could have been yeah they also just kind of made these like movies that were they deserve to not be hits necessarily like the village and speed racer i get why i'm not trying to say people like just didn't get the vision which is probably true but right I feel like they both derailed their careers in bigger ways than they should have and more than they deserved. And that like yeah. in a better timeline, we are getting blockbusters that are like along with Christopher Nolan and along with James Gunn, who are very talented, competent filmmakers, mm-hmm. we'd be getting big blockbusters from M night and the Wachowski siblings that were like, and I know they did matrix four, but that felt like a low budget movie to me. Yeah. It was um, a bomb too. Yeah, I don't think it did well. Yeah. Not good. But like, they just never would have lost that momentum after the matrix and they could still be made. Cause like, 
again, you could talk about how good their movies actually are, but the, what they were doing was very innovative and they were really thinking about yeah. filmmaking as a craft and not just a, a production. Yes. It's a shame that the people who are the most original seem to have been kind of driven out and like kind of burnt by the industry now and are just like, not really like it's great. M Knight's found his niche yeah. with uh, the Blumhouse productions and low budget self-produced stuff. Yeah. But I do feel like that's a result of being feeling burned and just like, you know, like, why am I going to keep trying to make this, you know, you know, and yeah. maybe you just had to, but it, it's kind of a shame because there's stuff like, like when M Knight was making, Sixth Sense and Wachowskis were making uh, the Matrix trilogy. JJ was writing like Armageddon, and <laughs> and like you know what I mean. Like just like they, they these guys were groundbreakers, and like same with George Lucas, another like groundbreaker who made a bad movie, and mm-hmm. people were so cruel that he had to like quit and just be like, nah, I don't want to do movies anymore. I'm going to make private. He literally, I'm going to make short films that no one will ever see. And that's what I'm going to do. And it's like, wow, man, do we really have to be that mean to George? Like Mm -hmm. he invented star Wars. He invented digital filmmaking. Like you guys all had Canon five D's and could be filmmakers because of George Lucas. Yeah. So get enough credit for that. Can we give him a break on the, now beloved sequel trilogy or i mean a prequel trilogy that we all love and wish we had more of so it's just like it's it's just a sad that those guys aren't the kings of the industry now and instead like no offense but i agree guys who don't deserve it i'll probably cut a lot of that that's fine hopefully i can pull some kind of rant out of that that's not too i was gonna go attacking anybody oh no worries i was gonna go off what you're saying about the wachowskis of how like they yeah please the matrix really was like an innovative movie like that movie without that movie there 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 was so much copycat action films after that and so much of the slow-mo even like spider-man did the bullet time so they invented live action bullet time there was one commercial that had done it before the wachowskis did it in the matrix tricks yeah but as far as a pop culture like and cinematic tool bullet time was the wachowskis which 300 you know when it slows down and gets all cool slow that was just a variation of bullet time bullet time yeah. and a, kind of an expansion of that same concept they yeah. introduced which is also another thing they from what i understand adapted from anime which anime did like that's where the term bullet time comes from i think is pre-matrix anime stuff and bullet time was a thing but whether how original bullet time is the point is they clearly had like vision and saw a gap and they like oh there's this anime stuff that no one's doing that we can bring into this and it's again that same vision of speed racer we're like hey with digital filmmaking there's all these new things we can do and try and no one's doing it so let's do it that burn them like it's the same thing and so it's just a shame because it didn't turn out as much as people liked their careers got kind of derailed, but it was the same energy. Like the prequels were the same energy that got us the original trilogy. Yeah. You guys just didn't like the execution. Yeah, I agree. And as I remember as a kid, like I was watching the news of my family and they had a seg- like a 15 minute segment on making of the matrix. It was like right before it came out. And I was remember being blown yeah. away by, cause they had, they had, they were showing a sequence. They were filming this giant blue screen but there's like a, like hundreds of cameras rotating around the actors and i yeah, was like yeah, i what remember is seeing this? that too i was like this is cool this is something interesting and they were showing a lot of the behind the scenes technical stuff and not ever my dad was like this has to be a good movie this looks so cool like this is all cool yeah. action stuff yeah that technique of setting up the hundred cameras i think i think the matrix was one of the first 
the first movie to do it. But again, I saw one commercial because I was trying to do some research about this. Yeah. One commercial that came out before The Matrix that did it as well. And I don't know if they used the same technique or not. And it, it was really cool watching special features about it because they were interviewing actors about the experience. And to these actors, this amount of green screen work, because like I said, they shot it in about 60 days and almost all of it was shot on the green screen. Not really a common thing back then. And mm-hmm. it was really interesting and nostalgic to hear all the actors going, yeah, it's really weird shooting without any references. And like, it's definitely a big learning curve with green screen. I'm so used to being in natural environments from being on location and actually seeing the surroundings. You have marks on the floor and someone says, well, this is the cliff over here, okay? And the helicopters are over there and the cars are over here. Even though you haven't got all the accoutrements, you know, maybe not another actor there, you can't see the set because it's all green. And the stuff we shot on green screen, I don't know what's there, what I've been acting to, I wanna see if I got it right. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was like pre, it was pre being taboo to talk bad about green screen movies. Cause now if you do, the people won't cast you in them, I assume. And like, we know Gandalf like cried during the Hobbit making cause of the green screen experience, (laughs) but it was just really interesting to hear all these actors. It's like, Oh, if you guys knew what was coming. That's funny. It brings me back to this old interview. I remember with Ewan McGregor on, I don't know if it was attack of the clones or Revenge of the Sith, but they were asking him like, Oh, how was it like filming those? And it's like, I don't know. We were just shooting a lot of blue screen. Well, we'll see how it turns out. Like he just didn't know. He just had no idea how (laughs) this was going to look. He's just like, I'm here to act, do my thing. You know, never done this before. (laughs) I was in, train spotting which there was no c oh there was cgi baby demons i guess oh yeah yeah, but but they were still in a real room no but yes it probably was (laughs) mind-blowing at that point at least in the the behind the scenes he just seems like this like little this young very sweet scottish guy he's like hi you guys big break you know after one Uh, little movie it was a cult movie yeah it's a good one yeah yeah so i i really again this this one just has a weird tender spot in my heart this is also i got to give credit to my older brother aaron who called this when it came out and everybody hated it that it was great and he's like no it's awesome and he knew it before it was you know old enough to have some perspective like i needed yeah that's Um, awesome so it was a good call that's awesome and thank you aaron (laughs) yeah but uh and i still love it yeah no i but like i said when i first saw the movie in the theater like prior to going into it i was like i don't know the trailer's been doing it for me but the but i was pleasantly surprised leaving the movie of being like i felt the emotion with just like with, with the family and and speed and his love for his brother you know like that whole aspect was like really touching yeah and and i don't know i felt good like i, I didn't like hate it when I, when I left i was like oh this wasn't so bad I don't, I don't think it's i could see why like as you were saying why people might think it's bad but i don't think it was like a real like piece of crap as no. as everybody was trash in this movie back then yeah i think i think it's used as an excuse a lot of the time this kind of thinking but it does feel like a, a movie that is the nail that sticks out the most gets hammered down yeah and again, I'm not saying it's a good movie because I do think there's, or I do think it's a good movie. I, I just understand the yes, f- criticism, the surface level stuff. Yeah, and I'm, I'm surprised. Like doing the box box office, not a lot of kids wanted to see this because if this movie came out as a kid, I would have been like all over this and the toys and everything. Very shocked. One thing I I learned in researching was the marketing 
a guy used an example of some trailers, but a lot of the marketing, and I'm sure there were some more geared towards children, was very geared towards adults. Mm. So I do wonder if this is another example of a movie being mismarketed by a fearful, short-sighted studio. Oh, and it's weird because it's a PG movie, so I don't get why it was the fear of like trying to more market it. Like, and it's a cartoon movie. You gotta, it's a made for yeah. like they made it for kids. Like, yeah. according to the the interview I heard, they. Their intent was to make a kids movie, and they thought their style might sell to kids better because the last few matrix matrixes yeah. matrices <laughs> hadn't been as well received financially mm. or oh, critically. The, the two and three, and so yeah. they were kind of looking for something, maybe a, a new sweet spot. Which I could see in the filmmaking and and just like the the passion, just I could just feel their energy and you know like what they were trying not to like do the matrix again. They were trying to do something a little more like. Something, yeah, it's just that sweet and just kind of hits that like nice spot. I feel good. I feel good movie in a way. And I appreciate them not doing another action movie. Yeah. It was nice. It's, it's kind of cool. I respect them, you know, trying something different. Another thing, talking about the Wachowskis' career that this movie made me think about a lot was Cloud Atlas. Oh, yeah. Which was their next movie. Which that was their next take- one after that. After Speed Racer. Yes, it was. It would take oh. four years to make after Speed Racer. Wow. Cloud Atlas is another guilty pleasure of mine. I actually love their bad movies. They they kind of hit a sweet spot or what's considered bad. Yeah. Like again, trying something weird. Cloud Atlas is another one Very where they really movie. trying something. And people at the time just did not click with it and really ripped it up. But it was I still like it. It's got beautiful soundtrack, really beautiful visuals. Mm-hmm. There's some compelling things. Tom Hanks, little whatever that future talk, truth, truth stuff is very cringy, though. One day in Butterfly Hole. Yeah, and fleas ain't so easy to read. And and uh, distracting There's doses, and laugh yeah. Out loud, funny, yeah. <laughs> but but another one I I really like, and and just you start to see a ton of like love for Asian culture in this and Asian mm-hmm. characters. And you start to see kind of their CGI world dreams coming to life, which yeah. I feel like they expand upon in cloud Atlas with some of their worlds, specifically like the futuristic, like Asian influence. Yeah. world They feature a lot. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I just appreciate their vision. I appreciate that mm-hmm. they're trying to do weird new things. I, I kind of talked about this last week with you, but not every movie needs to be a blockbuster. Not every movie needs to be Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Not every movie, you, you know, there's enough room. I, I I think I really agree with her sentiment about there's room for more styles and more voices and more innovation. And, and just because you don't like the new th- thing somebody's trying doesn't mean like we should still celebrate people trying to make new original things that advance the language. Whenever we have these discussions, I want to make it clear. There's a ton of great independent filmmaking and there's a ton of great filmmakers making movies right now. This is more of a condemnation of the blockbuster, like big budget studio driven films, Mm -hmm. which you could argue it's good. That's that is dying, but 
uh, I do think there's value in being able to put half a mil- half a billion dollars into a movie if you're making a good movie, mm-hmm. which you can't do in independent filmmaking. It's just not possible, and most filmmakers will never have that chance. Yeah. So I think that's why it's sad to see those big budget movies really declining. Like people have been saying, blockbusters stink since Jaws came out. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I agree, man, and it's it's crazy how like how the industry has like changed so much, and how these filmmakers have been in like the milestones of like this newer Hollywood like career. And I'm glad you brought up Cloud Atlas. It's such a very ambitious movie and very uh, what you call it. Like it's one of those movies I have to watch it again. I remember I saw it in the theaters. I fell asleep, uh, but yeah, I watched it. Fair. At- it is it is long. It's one of those I I tried watching it at home uh, years ago. I just like oh, I need to be in a better mood for this. But but I appreciated that movie though, and I really appreciated like hey the these guys are thinking a little more like out there than most filmmakers are that are working and successful in the industry right now. And it's a shame that these guys haven't really had that really strong break after the matrix it really i think the matrix trilogy might have just be their only like real big hits that they made yeah well and truthfully just the first one the second and third really oh, so they were bombs hits, officially bombs i don't think they were bombs but i just know it definitely wasn't it was a diminishing uh-huh. returns each film from what i understand because that's, that's why speed racer was kind of a big thing for them st- and uh, again kind of was so important was so destructive because there was stuff on the line like they weren't as hot yeah. of a commodity at that point in the industry from what i understand just watching behind the scenes stuff that's crazy because like i remember when i was a kid like matrix reloaded and revolutions like all around me everyone were just talking about those movies so i thought they were just huge when they came out like everyone I maybe knew. i'm wrong maybe they were mega hits let me just double check because i'm curious now because i'll say reloaded here with a budget of 150 million made 281 million in the US and worldwide 738. So the second one did well, but very good. Revolutions, the the third one, the finale at the time to the trilogy, again, same budget 150 mil, but did only 139 domestically in the US in 2003 and only 427 worldwide. So what was the original the original base budget? Uh 150 mil as well. Yeah, it's not great. No, compared to the the first and the, the first and second one, well, I didn't say the first one, but the second one was mega. Yeah, mega so they hit. were coming off a bit of a dud. Because maybe it was the second one. I remember being huge. I just remember every kid in my school was like, "Oh, the Matrix Reloaded!" and everyone's trying to do all the Matrix fighting and stuff. <laughs> but uh, but the hype was real. I remember like even like one of my uncles were just so psyched. Oh, we're gonna watch at midnight. I was like, "Oh, I want to go see at midnight." And my parents were like, "You can't watch it with him." No. I'm not going to let him take me to an animated movie. Yeah, Christian household. Yeah. <laughs> no, I remember after the first one, it being huge. Like, it was like prequel big as a kid who didn't know Yeah, the difference between anything. It, it felt like just as crazy phenomenon to me. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, but it's funny because, like, the first one, I could say, okay, go back. And, like, I could see this being this milestone, but... Watching those sequels, and again, I respect their vision. They still have a vision on those movies, but there, mm-hmm. there are those like two, like oh, I don't know about that, that fight sequence with all the Agent Smiths in the school. Yeah, you heard it is an iconically up. bad moment. No, no and talk about 
Batman bad CGI from iconically good Matrix to iconically bad. Because there's there's actual cool like stunt work even in the second one specifically. Just remember that freeway sequence was like mind blowing when I first saw that because there was real guys on motorcycles jumping onto the truck and he's jumping off into the helicopters or whatever. And I just remember being like, see that looks real. But then when it gets to the CG stuff, you could just tell like it just takes you out. Like when you see Neo flying right after, you're like, ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> watching them now some parts just like yeah like we talk about with speed racer doesn't hold up very well in terms of visual uh, effects yeah swinging sometimes you swing and hit the home run and sometimes you swing and miss i guess yeah (laughs) exactly exactly but i appreciate their ambition though i see i appreciate they're always trying they're always swinging for sure and they're always trying to feel big and not feel like this is a small movie like there's a lot of crazy things happening on screen here and I, i admire that yeah so just to wrap up the Wachowski's filmography, I guess the last one, I guess Matrix Four as well. But Jupiter Ascending is kind of another one of these yeah. weird kind of fits like pairs with Cloud Atlas well with me. They tried to go back to I think something more Matrixy where yeah. it was action and people shooting and flying, and they still have the futuristic worlds like they did in Cloud Atlas as well. Yeah. But it's another this one I'll call guilty pleasure. I'll say Cloud Atlas. I really do like yeah, actually, same. unironically for the most part. Jupiter Ascending is a guilty pleasure for sure. That's a crazy ass movie. <laughs> you probably know this already, but Channing Tatum is half dog. He's a dog human <laughs> hybrid. And it's that's just and there are many jokes about it in the movie about him being a dog, and it's crazy. And it's another one. Again, I'll say that one's a guilty pleasure, yeah. but I do appreciate that they were trying to do something real weird. Yeah. Oh, and uh Oscar winning uh, actor uh, who plays the oh, bad guy? Oh, Eddie Redmayne. Oscar winning actor Eddie Redmayne plays a hilarious villain who he really tried to go somewhere with it and it didn't work and it's really fun to watch. I, I agree. And I remember that was the same year. Like, so I remember I saw an article saying he he's one of the first actors like in a while that had both an Oscar win and a Rosie win. Cause I think he got a Rosie for, for his performance in Jupiter ascending. Yeah. Just, well, and the Oscars, uh, theory of everything. did he actually win? Stephen theory Hawking. Of, yeah, yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. yeah whatever. Yeah. But no, the Jupiter Ascending is, uh, I feel like that was their attempt at like, they really were trying to make their Star Wars. They really were trying to make yeah. their space opera, which again, I just admire their vision. I admire the ambition. Like I could see what they were trying to do. But yeah, the execution was interesting. <laughs> and uh, I forgot to mention, but back when the movie came out, that was one of my first ever, like, I don't know how it happened. I somehow was gifted a uh, ticket to the red carpet premiere at the Chinese theater no to see Jupiter ascending. So I got in there. It was Dude. overwhelming. I don't know how it happened. I, I, I just remember someone on when I was first starting the my Instagram, I just posted something like movie wise. And this person said, Hey, I got these like free tickets. They just messaged me and gave me this. I'm like, no freaking way. This is you're messing with me. And I actually like, Oh, this is real. And I actually go over there. Like, oh shit. Once I walk the, in. You're question it till they actually let you in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I believe I have a ticket. (laughs) Take this. (laughs) It was overwhelming, and it was cool seeing the Wachowskis introduce the movie and talk, you know, like little doses of it. And then, yeah, I and I saw him afterwards. I saw Lana just standing there with some fans. I just had to say, hey, like I admire you. I admire your work. I got to shake her hand and just have a moment. 
very briefly and she was just oh, like, that's awesome man i just told her hey like you know the you guys i admire your works and you guys have like i was just being that like nice fan and just but not being too much you know i just wanted to say hi no, that's and just, cool dude and then walk out you know and call it <laughs> so no i feel like at a premiere of their movie it's appropriate to congratulate them yeah did you see Mila Kunis? I did see Mila Kunis. And hey, nice, cool. Really briefly. It's one of those, like, I feel like sometimes, like, actually, that premiere, all the big people, like her and Channing Tatum, like, they had all the big security just escorting them fast out of there. But I, I caught them. So no, there was no real cool, No interaction. Yeah. Well, I bumped yeah. into her husband while trying to leave the restroom. <laughs> I, was trying, I was just trying to, like, walk out. I'm like, wait, is that Ashton Kutcher? Holy shit. And I was like, they had that awkward, like, dance. You're trying to walk, move around. Like, oh, shit, you're going left? Or am I going right? It was that awkward, like, <laughs> Interaction. <laughs> oh my god was he was he nice was he uh did he was he, he was rude trying to, to like hide his identity he's just putting his head down trying to move but he's such yeah. a tall guy where he puts his head down i see your face but i was trying to be nice <laughs> yeah it's even worse yeah. i just like you know when i see a celebrity i just want to just let them be i don't want to like you know ruin like yeah i don't want to be that obnoxious person and for sure, for sure. That's hey, nothing you can do there, though. That's just that happens. It just happened to be Ashton Kutcher this time. <laughs> and he had to go to the restroom, so I'm not going to like ask for a photo. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. Well, that's cool. That's real. I'm I'm jealous, man. Yeah. Oh. But um, yeah. And it's it's sad. I was I was looking, and they don't have any movies in talks or really? in production or anything or projects moving forward, which is a, a bummer. I really, I really hope they make more stuff and get chances to make movies I, or want to, hopefully. I agree. I, I haven't seen it, but I heard their show since eight wasn't that bad. I, I haven't watched it. Just, I have a hard time watching. Was shows. that produced by the Wachowskis? By the Wachowskis. Yeah. The Netflix no series, the sci-fi. Cool. Yeah, I heard it's great. Show. I've heard a lot of people tell me it's really good. Yeah, even people that like I, I know some people that really hated like everything but the Matrix that, that like that show. So they did something hmm. then that that's catching people's attention. But maybe one of these days. When oh, they actually directed episodes. Yeah. I had no idea that was them. I'll probably watch it now. I've I've been wanting to, but that might push me over the edge to prioritize it. Yeah, you know. Because I again I really enjoyed Speed Racer, so also to wrap up speed yes, racer yes. thoughts i've seen this quite i mean maybe not quite a few times but a, a handful of times at least and this was probably my favorite time watching it i think Same. i appreciated it the most i guess i kind of said that in the beginning because i was paying more attention but it really confirmed my feelings i was a little afraid i'd watch it and be like oh, i'm embarrassed i picked this for the episode but i really thought it was great i, I agree man i also enjoyed it a lot more this viewing and I actually got to appreciate some of the performances. Like actually, Emil Hirsch, I really liked in this movie. He's definitely one of my favorite yes. performances from him now. Like looking after watching this again. Yeah, and another guy who really deserves to be a star right now, and it's a shame he's like he's still doing some great roles. Yeah, we've haven't been doing this, but our connection to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Emil Hirsch plays J.C. Uh, Green. You know kind of love triangle yeah. jc bring and he's great in that movie it's a small role but he's has so much like uh compassion and like yeah he, he's really it's effective it's just like this nice cool guy who you, you really like in that movie and especially with him and DiCaprio, I, I love him that were really good and like he was really fun. yes that scene is like so heartwarming when he's just like 
you're amazing. I love you. We love you. Come hang out and be our friends. Like, well, that's all I ever wanted. <laughs> it's so good, dude. Um, and uh, he's great in Into the Wild. He's really yeah. good. He's in a really low budget movie he did with Paul Rudd. Oh. He's really great in, and I, I really like him in. This is a David Gordon um, Green's movie. Yes, it was. Yeah, an adaptation of to watch a, that. Like, that's been on my list for so long. Foreign film from the Finland or something like that. The 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 original is really good, but I thought Dave Gordon Green's was a good adaptation, and he he made it his own still and um, hit Paul Rudd and Emil Hirsch are awesome. They're so fun together. Oh, that's great! I got to put this on my watch list now. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Yeah, hopefully Emil Hirsch, hopefully the Chowskis. I I hope you know this podcast will swing. You know the the public. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a real bummer, man. It's a real shame they got buried in the past, but I feel like there's been some sort of renaissance because, again, on Letterboxd, I've seen some people like rave about it, and also the new Beverly Tarantino's theater screened a midnight yeah. screening a couple months ago oh, for this movie. No way. And I was like, oh, Fun. it's not even a kitty night. It's a midnight that. screening. That's interesting. Yeah, which that's I, cool, I felt dude. bummed I missed. It would have been cool to see that in 35 millimeter, which is crazy because it's shot on digital. So to see it on film would have been interesting. <laughs> Bringing up Tarantino, this also connects to Grindhouse. I feel like some of the editing techniques and some of the ways mm. he has a person superimposed over something to transition it. Mm. I feel like I can remember from the, from specifically the car one. The death Proof. Death Proof. Does that sound familiar to you? Like a person's face used as a transition wipe? I think Tarantino's done that. It could be in Death Proof or even Kill Bill. I feel like Kill Bill does a lot of anime. Oh, Kill Bill might There's be. There's a lot of anime Oh, yeah, totally. Maybe Kill Bill's better reference. Maybe. Um, but maybe Death Proof too. But anyway, yeah. I can see that too. Because like you say, anime and just like martial arts, he's got such a... Uh, soft spot i'll say oh yeah he's been screening a lot of the studio ghiblis and i think he's doing cowboy bebop midnight so like that's really cool happy to get a chance to talk about this movie and um add to the chorus the the growing chorus it seems of people who are you know shouting out an underrated gem that maybe needs a little more attention and love i agree man and and one thing i forgot to touch up on that the aspect of the film i've totally forgot and was also like a fun surprise rewatching was the whole racer x being the brother the whole time spoilers i know that we already said this we're in a spoiler show here but it's just one of my natural instincts to be like hey no i always have a fear of spoiling stuff i want people to enjoy stuff and be surprised not be that a-hole to ruin like oh han solo died i'm not that guy again it's an old 2008 so this is 15 years old wow 15 years 15th anniversary of this movie holy shit yeah depending on when when perfect timing that's fun but yeah the whole racer x reveal was really interesting i had a feeling i remember when i was uh because again i haven't seen this in maybe (laughs) 10 years maybe it's been a while since i fully fully watched it i I put it on in the background before but never fully paid attention yeah but to fully watch and pay attention i totally forgot about that i was like oh yeah that that he was the brother in disguise and actually in watching this in this viewing, I almost believe when he said when he takes it off and it's Matthew Fox, he, I was like, oh, maybe he isn't the brother. Okay, maybe I was wrong. And then the, the ending shows the whole twist. I was like, oh, that's right. He was. And shout out to Matthew Fox. I actually really liked him in this movie. I was really surprised to see him in a more like, I don't know, he had, he had this caper vibe to him. Um, yeah, people love him in this. That was another common praise I heard when reading about the movie was people love 
uh, Matthew Fox, and many people feel he deserves more praise for this role. Well, like especially when he takes off his mask, that's when I like him a lot more, actually, because I remember yeah. him in the mask. I just like okay, it's just the anime. Yeah. I noticed, and it's funny because even the animated series, and looking research and watching clips, it is the same twist. They do the whole same storyline, and then but the cartoon actually, I think from the get go, is always saying. Oh, Rex Racer is actually Racer Rex, but Speed doesn't know it. There's like a narrator saying that, looking up clips. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, the the reveal that Racer X is his brother is part of the intro, I think, from what, yeah. I, what I saw. And also, call back to the animated show. It's really cool that he does that stance the way he does in the intro of the cartoon when he jumps out of the car at the end. It's like, oh, that's fun. Is it the beginning or is it at the end when he wins? When he wins at the end, yeah, when he jumps... In this viewing, I, I I was like, why did he jump like that? And then I, I go back after and watch some of the animated series. Like, oh, that's the intro. That's what they yeah, were trying to do. It's just the class. Yeah. It's so cool. Also, that ending I love so much. It's very, again, it's very cheesy and it's very on the nose. So I'm not saying, but I love it. It's all the family, and maybe I'll play the clip here. Yeah is talking to him he can hear all these like words of support from his family that have happened throughout the film remember that night we sat together we watched old ben burns stick with him that night something just clicked he's hearing them all as he's like getting that last push to win yeah. racing hasn't changed and it never will it doesn't matter if racing never changes. What matters is if we let racing change us. When I'm in a T-180, I don't know. Everything just makes sense. front of him the two guys he just beat their cars start to explode and speed past him on his left and right and then just randomly bounce to each other in the middle right before the finish line and crash into each other and explode so it's like fireworks he's driving through going into the ending after all the words of encouragement are refreshed and just thinking about all the struggle and how now he's doing it and it's really cheesy and great and i love it i love the race car visuals as well we talked about the cgi being bad and it working yeah but some of the race sequences look great i agree the cars some sequences they they you could tell they really made an effort to make it look sharp and i so i will say i I actually do like the um the style of the races and and get a big kick out of them but I, I agree, man. And I, I especially when the Mach 6 is like drifting in like the nighttime like sequences, it, the car's shining with the lights. It looks so cool. It's great. And and the colors I love. I just love the neon. But yeah, any, I guess any um, wrap-up thoughts or any other interesting things you wanted to talk about yeah. before we wrap up, wrap up? Yeah, I'm happy. Thank you for picking Speed Racers. It was such a fun ride rewatching this. And I forgot to give a shout-out to the great john goodman and the great susan sarandon as the parents really enjoyed them in this viewing really enjoyed them as well really good really good and especially susan sarandon as a mom she was she was so sweet in the movie and her relationship to speed was really nice and i felt like comforted watching that um, i agree her speech to him near the end of the movie yeah and she talks about just how much she enjoys watching him race because of how talented he is yeah. it's a very it's a very sweet speech yeah. that's very well performed yeah it was really good 
that scene and then also the part the parallel with uh john gooden and and because in the beginning when you saw him see his son leave he's like oh if you, you walk-, walk out that door now you better not ever come back or versus the speed he said speed i understand that every child has to leave home but i want you to know that door is always open you can always come back because i love you love you pops that actually really touched yeah. me really well. I was like, oh, yeah. Whoa, that's just, that was really sad, but sad and sweet. Sad and sweet. And they, you know, understandably, because, the, you know, they saw their son crash on die, die, supposedly, to their eyes, which is crazy. Right. He's not going to, it's just crazy. He's been around the family, has not said anything. But, anyways, I don't want to get into that too much. But, <laughs> no, but it's, no, it's, it's a great character arc. And, and maybe it doesn't even count as an arc, but it's a great way of showing how his character yeah or part of his arc i'll say yeah. because it it just shows his characters like change his perspective yeah and i thought that was tastefully done i actually was like see those are the parts of the movie that was like why i like this film this those little moments you know i feel like yeah as time goes on some of these movies are just yeah these little like moments you find in these films from the past are just like i don't know it's crazy how much like they hold up more than most modern films we watch today yeah i harp on it a lot on the show but i agree even even back to 2008 a, a giant bomb blockbuster that was hated by everybody is much more fun to watch than the latest marvel disney product which yeah. you know is kind of crazy it is so this was so fun i'm really glad you liked it and i'm glad we got to talk about it and i really had a blast uh doing both so thank you again and Hopefully, Ian will be back soon. Either way, we will have another episode next week. Angelo, since you are the only other person here and I picked this week's Speed Racer, I asked you to pick next week's movie. What are you thinking? All right. Well, you're getting me in this adrenaline with after watching. We watched Top Gun, okay, we watched yeah. Speed Racer. Right. Uh, if you don't mind keeping the flow going, I'm going to pick... Keep- Pick this little movie called um, Okay, The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift from 2006. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I accept because there's um, some interesting thoughts I've had on this movie recently, and uh, cool. Very, I don't know. I want to get into it because there's something fascinating about that franchise. But that movie specifically, there's something that sticks out more than the other ones that I'll, that I'll bring up. This is the uh, very successful director, Justin Lin. Justin Lin's first Fast and the Furious movie. Well, that's got me intrigued right off the bat. Yeah. So I was like, we're in cars stuff and under another underdog car movie. Yes. Yeah. And another uh, unabashed thrill ride, just shameless. This is the movie we're making. We're going to make it as hard as we can. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And, And it's also the one that was what the franchise was started off to be. It's about cars and racing. It's all about just that aspect. And it's funny how it's come a long way and, and now has become the mission impossible for car movies now. Like, (laughs) yeah, this is a, this is a fun pick. And this actually, we've talked about doing lists on the show. So I'm going to pitch one here. I haven't started it yet. But I want to do a Jaws 9 list. <laughs> and it's Jaws 9 in Back to the Future. Is that right? Or 14? It's like something, yes. Jaws some 12, 15. I can't remember exactly. Jaws 19. Okay. Jaws 19. So, 
Funny, 19, my lucky number. The list I want to do is going to be called Jaws 19. And the idea is movies that are becoming real life examples of the joke in Back to the Future 2, where there's an advertisement for Jaws 19, which is, of course, making fun of the Jaws franchise at that point, which at that point they had like four Jaws's. Yeah. When that Only came four, out, three yeah. or four, I think. Yeah. And so it was like not even, it was like a very, you know, far-fetched joke. Like they're really stretching it, doing 19. <laughs> and so I want to do series that potentially could hit 19 uh, moves. Like they're they're already getting into that range. Dude, yeah, they're we right. got like Star Wars, mm. uh, Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, yeah. Scream is getting yeah. up there. So I, I think it'd be fun to try to think of all those different marvel you could say is past it but i don't count that i think yeah. it's got to be like they've kept the, the name the to some degree the so there's got to be some guidelines i guess we rule out or we, we, we use it's different if marvel did 19 iron man movies that's different yeah exactly but again there's exactly. all these interconnected other movies so it doesn't i guess that doesn't count yeah yeah so so just some i i uh, kind of want to get started so i will add that here at the end and maybe i'll cut it if this is feeling too long yeah. but just throwing that out there if you think of any angelo please let me know sounds good so next week we will be watching the movie that invented drifting (laughs) tokyo drift fast and the furious angelo this was awesome thank you again before we go what was your favorite line from speed racer off the top of your head Mm. if you can I guess I mentioned already, but like when John Goodman says, "There's always a place for you to come back," just it's just really nice. Yeah, it's so sweet, man. I, I, yeah, that's a good it's, one. It stuck with me. I like, think it really was like, oh, that was. And then some of Susan Sarandon's bits, but yeah, let's see John Goodman's line there. Yeah, it's a very sweet, cathartic <laughs> moment. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot to say they called it Carfu. That was what, what the animators man? called no called it. I did laugh at the guy's pancakes or pankooksuku. What does he say? The oh my gosh, yeah, he was so good. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the bad guy. Because <laughs> I remember, even I laughed back then. It's one of those things I haven't seen in a while. So when you watch it again, like those little moments, like, yeah, he says something weird about pancakes. There is like those pancakes do look so they good do. too. All the food. Pancakes are love. Yeah, I love it. Pancakes are great. <laughs> Well, Angela, this was a blast. <laughs> Thankfully, that came to me so quick and it didn't take me 20 minutes to think of that line. Everybody, thank you for joining us. If you're still with us, please go watch a movie. Go watch a movie.